everybody, welcome to We Turned, we turned Out, out Fine! fine. <laughs> and welcome. This is the Naomi and Lydia show. Thank you guys for tuning in uh, to this little bonus blurb that we are throwing on, um, that we'll be throwing on at some point. This episode won't be quite as long as our regular full-length episodes will be. Um, and I wanted to talk about um, something I've been thinking about a lot, and that is the rule of scarcity. This idea that exists uh, in economics that the more valuable something is, the more scarce it is. Or should I should actually say that the more scarce an item is, the more inherent value it, it is because it is commodified in that way. Um, I think that obviously when it comes to economics, this makes sense. However, when it comes to intrinsic value, when it comes to things that are immaterial, this rule absolutely cannot apply. And I'm going to use two examples. So I've got two examples of what I mean when I say this. I'm going to talk about love and I'm going to talk about power. Um, and I'm going to start off by reading from the Bible. I'm going to be reading from Matthew 20, The Laborers in the Vineyard. What translation are you reading? I'm reading off the ESV. All right. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early and in the morning decided to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard and going about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went going out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with those last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when they, now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only an hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of a day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first will be last. I want to clarify a couple of things here. So we mentioned, the text mentions uh, the denomination of currency as a denarius, and that's typically understood uh, to be a day's wage. So tran that time. translate that in, in your mind, however that comes out, if you want to think of basic minimum wage times eight hours, 
um, or, you know, a certain sum. And that's what a denarius was worth, a day's wage. Um, and then also it talks about the hours, um, saying that he went out about the third hour and then the sixth and then the ninth hour. So roughly what in my notes, uh, what that translates to is the first hour would have been, you know, very kind of the beginning of the work day, say around eight or 9 a.m. And then when we come to the 11th hour, that'd be like closer to 5 p.m. So just kind of consider in your, in your mind uh, the understanding of time that existed in the uh, Israel culture at this time and the wage um, involved. Can I ask a linguistic question? Of course. Um, I think is that I might be mixing up my um, biblical times uh, words here, languages, but I think I've also heard the term drachme from Greek, drachme. Yes. Um, is Are there translations where perhaps the word drachme was used in place of denarius? I would have to check. I feel like there, I feel like perhaps I've heard versions where that's the denomination used, but I think that's the, that might be like the Greek where denarius sounds like it's Latin. We can look that up, but in most translations, I've seen denarius. That's really cool. Though. Or I've seen <laughs> it just taken out completely and said wage. a day's wage. Yeah. It's just to, to understand the vernacular of what it meant. And this is in, this is Matthew. This is Matthew 20. So, um, that could be like Judean, you know, all because again, mm-hmm. Roman occupied Judea, right? Yes. Is so the population. Matthew is writing primarily to a Jewish audience in this book. Um, he... Matthew really covers so much. It covers the lineage of Christ. It covers, obviously, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, an incredible bit of preaching uh, is, is a huge chunk of the first uh, few books, starting in Matthew 5. A lot of parables. We get the transfiguration. We get so much content in Matthew. And it's written primarily to a Jew- Jewish audience, to the Jewish followers of Christ in the first century. Um, and so a lot of that understanding uh, would have been around that framework, would have been in that context, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to a, a Gentile or a mm-hmm. Greek mm-hmm. context. And on that, that's probably why the term denarius, because that sounds incredibly Latin. So that was probably a term that they mm-hmm. had were, were using because of the Roman occupation at the time, I imagine, because that was probably the currency. It could be, right? yeah. I, I would Give have to Give to Caesar check. what is Caesar's and all that. Um, and then, but we also have a lot of, you know, translations. The Bible has gone through a lot yeah. of translations, including the Vulgate, which I believe was a Latin translation. Oh. Um, so things to consider. And we might do a whole, like, because I have, I have um, some background in translation with my degree plan, so mm-hmm. we could even do a whole episode just talking about biblical text. Biblical translation? Or, or even sacred texts and translations. Oh, totally. All right. So I wanted to dig into this a little bit more um, because I, I think this parable really does turn so many of the things that exist in our lives on its head. This idea of fairness um, is really turned up. This idea um, of generosity and what that really means. And I think if, if you come from a church background, you probably very well could have heard this in association with the idea of love. That, um, that this is something that's given freely 
and the idea of salvation, that this is given freely and that there is really uh, just that it's given the same to those who came in the beginning, who fought, who got on early on, as it is to those who got on at the last minute, that it is still worth just as much. doesn't matter when you came and in the process. Um, and I really wanted to focus in this more on the topic of power, but I do want to start off on the idea of love, that we do have this idea in our society, whether we want to name it or not, that love is scarce. And this is something I'll relate to myself very personally as a woman who has had failed relationships. Oftentimes I feel like I have run out of love or I have run out of myself or that this or that there is not enough and this is something that in my mind I've had to work to reject and say no that is not who God is God does not run from a rule of scarcity um, in terms of love in terms of grace and obviously in an, in an eternal form if we believe that you know uh, following Christ that is the method of sal that is the road to salvation and uh, an eternal road, that that idea is abundant and actually gets bigger and bigger. This is actually how I understand the universe, that if we believe and we live in a universe that is constantly expanding, I, I, and I kind of flip that over. I believe God is actually expanding. I believe God is actually getting bigger and that the idea of love is actually getting bigger. But this really does run contrary to how we think about it in our society. We, don't, we do think of our love as something to give carefully and to maybe not give so freely. Um, and, and I think this is something we really need to think more critically about, um, that that is not something that can be commodified in a material way. But more to the point, I want to actually use this to talk about the concept of power. So a few months ago, um, a great series on Netflix came out called The Toys That Made Us. I highly recommend it, and I really hope in a future episode that Lydia and I can actually talk about some of the toys from our childhood and how they kind of shaped and influenced us and shaped our imagination. Um, but I want to refer to a specific episode of this series um, in which they go into the story of He-Man. Um, this predates me a little bit. I was born in 1987, and so I'm actually a little bit young for He-Man. But this was one of these iconic toys from the 80s. There's the doll, the figures, the whole cast of characters, as well as a comic book and eventually a TV show. So... It's going along, and uh, basically He-Man was a collaboration of several men at the Mattel Toy Company back in the 80s, and they all kind of piss over who actually invented He-Man. It's really <laughs> pretty amusing. <laughs> some frail masculinity just on display. So at some point... Uh, all these characters come along, and including He-Man's sister, She-Ra. 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 Um, she is created by one of the women at Mattel. Thank and, God. yeah, starts to gain some popularity. So, eventually, um, you know, the He-Man toy line is going along, and, and 
few years in, sales, sales start to slide. He-Man's not as popular, or he's not, you know, numbers aren't coming back, and they're like, and, and so they get together at Mattel, and they're going, like, what's wrong? What's happening? And one of the male execs looks at the female exec and says to her, it's your fault. You invented She-Ra. You gave She-Ra the power. Now He-Man doesn't have the power, and look what's happened. Wow. And in his, I, I'm, I, I'm sure, you know, we're obviously coming at this now 30 years later, you know, secondhand story thanks to Netflix. But the idea that's coming through here is that if you share the power, if you share validation with somebody else that it in effect takes it away from somebody else and i thought that is such bullshit and and, and ultimately the, in this particular context in this story that really the the what was happening was is that they were overproducing all these second and third tertiary uh characters you know and flooding the market of them and not really putting out uh the main characters so it was really a you know, to go back to economics, it was actually flooding the market with what wasn't valuable. So mm -hmm. it was affecting their sales in the long run. But you can watch the entire uh, episode and the entire series on Netflix if you're more interested in that particular story. Um, but I wanted to get back to this idea of power because this is something that affects us in life right now, um, has always. But I think in our context, we need to talk about the idea of power as something that doesn't, that is not limited to this rule of scarcity. In our history, in American history, we've seen kind of these different, I, want, I almost want to describe them as dispensations, but they're basically different phases of when certain groups of people were given affirmation and we're given power, we're given full citizenship. So, you know, at first, obviously, we have, uh, you know, wealthy landowning men, then gradually more men, and then gradually um, some men of color, then gradually women, and then other mostly minority groups, women. mostly white women, and then, and then later on minority groups, and then mm -hmm. finally more women of color mm -hmm. are being, and, and this is just from a legal standpoint. This mm -hmm. is not even from a practical, applicable standpoint of did they actually get to vote or, you know, have full citizenship and full rights and so forth and, and whatnot. This is really just the idea of them being affirmed by our constitution or having those uh, uh, rights upheld. Um, one thing that we really brush up against now is the idea that if we affirm certain people groups, if we affirm LGBT, if we affirm in, uh, their, their rights to live their life, does it really take away the rights that somebody else had before them? Or if we are looking uh, at the status of immigrants, if we're looking at the status of refugees, does affirming their status as a refugee um, or somebody seeking asylum, does giving them power 
in that or validating that really take away from um, affirming the validity of somebody who is a citizen of this country. You know, did they arrive here? Did their ancestors arrive here a hundred years ago or did they arrive just yesterday? Um, going back to the parable of the workers in the vineyard, they're all coming in at this different time. And you see the first ones, they get so mad because they're given exactly what they were promised. They are given exactly what they agreed to, something that is fair, something that is equitable. But all of a sudden, it's not fair or it's not equitable when the landowner decides, well, I'm gonna give the same consideration to these other people. They know they didn't work as long, but, but, I, but I'm, this is what I have to give. Um, and I heard a great uh, quote, I think, of another podcast that, you know, we can't divide up eternity. Um, th even mathematically, you can't divide zero. Anything um, multiplied by zero is still zero. You can't divide up what is immeasurable or, equ or equitable. Right. And this is actually brought up again throughout the Gospels and also again throughout the book of Matthew. It's like, who will be first in the kingdom of heaven? Who will be at your side? Um, we have a, you know, we have a kind of a big obsession with ranking things, putting things in order, giving them a category and giving them a place. And Jesus says, no, 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 that is not how you are thinking of this hierarchy how you are thinking of this system, that is not what the kingdom of heaven looks like. And I want us to start to think of this um, in real world ways. Um, obviously, I brought up LGBT, the immigrant community. That's also um, what that means for tra the trans community. What does it look like to validate the experience of another, see that their experience is valid or real, if, if only just to them, even though it may not be our story, even though it may not be something that we can experience or even relate to, that it is still very much who they are and give that over and extend that knowing that we're not losing anything by extending grace or extending validation. And if I may jump in. Please. Um, yeah, you do hear from lots of populations. They, they talk about... Um, they talk about these different demographics, these different communities, whether it's, you know, trans and or LGBT persons or whether it's people of color and everything that they've been through, whether it's immigrants, you definitely hear, um, you hear people who are opposed to, um, <laughs> right, is it like, what exactly are they opposed to? It seems like they are opposed to accepting equal humanity, and um, as that, that, those would be the terms that I would put it in, mm -hmm. um, is what they're really doing, is that they're resisting um, and refusing to accept the equal humanity of those different groups 
and I th- I've heard it before described as a pie, right? It's like they think about it as if it's a social rights pie. Yes. That if we give them a slice of the pie, then there's less pie for everyone else. But yeah, it's like, no, validating someone's humanity and their, their deserving of equal rights and equal respect and consideration, yeah, it's not, there's no limit. It's not like giving, ex- you know, extending that, as, just as you said, doesn't take it away from anyone else. It doesn't yeah. devalue or, or take anything away from, from anyone else by just being like, yeah, you're, you're human, you deserve equal rights, equal representation, equal um, <clears throat> just like validation and equal space in the social sphere. Exactly. And I've heard, and this is something that's really disheartening, is I've heard a lot of Christians really cling to this, mm. especially around the idea of marriage and mm. the LGBTQ community. Mm. I heard a lady in Bible study, this was years ago. Oh, <laughs> no, this was years ago. And she exclaimed in the middle of this, I don't even remember the context exactly. I just remember her exclaiming, they're trying to destroy marriage. <laughs> destroy it they're they're trying it's like who's trying to destroy me i don't think that's what that is right and and uh how we have reacted how really poorly i've seen some christian not all but some christians react and, and you know you hear kind of these bombastic news stories like the couple this couple promises to get divorced if Gay marriage is affirmed. And it's like, nobody is saying you need to get divorced. Nobody is saying that your marriage is any less valid or any less real by extending it to a same-sex couple. On a, on a really, like, micro-micro level, this reminds me of, like, I think it was an Instagram post or something that I saw that was talking about, it was saying something like, her success is not your failure. Exactly. And, um, and you know, I think that used fe- female pronouns because many times, and this is a whole other conversation, many times, you know, females, we are see, we see each other as competition in yes. this world in many different ways, in many different levels, and we should not. And But I think that the sentiment behind that statement, her success is not your failure, mm-hmm. um, I think the concept, the idea behind that applies perfectly here. You know, yeah. someone else's validation is not your invalidation. Yes. Yeah. That, I don't know. I, I, thought, I thought the idea of the rule of scarcity um, mm-hmm. really kind of, as sort of a, to paint a picture of the dichotomy, obviously, I don't know if this is an exact um, perfect, perfect metaphor, but I think it really does kind of lay the groundwork for um, an idea that just exists in our world, in our life, that I really want us to kind of uproot ourselves from and get a little bit of elevation on and understand. And I think that the scripture, I think that um, this gospel scripture really does a good idea. Um, of, and it's one that I've gone back to a lot because it reminds me that, and I myself, somebody, I am somebody who works well with structure and um, certainly loves the idea of fairness. And as somebody who is a very hard worker themselves, uh, you know, I want my hard work to be valued and appreciated. Um, so it, it, in its own way, it challenges me 
but in another way, in a, in a deeper, more spiritual way, it gives me a lot of context for something I really don't have any other language to use for. And that is this idea that love doesn't exist within these boundaries, that God doesn't exist within the boundaries that um, we live in. And that really does give me a lot of hope, especially uh, hope for organized religion, hope for the church um, and for our world that we can point to this and say, this is actually just our understanding of how things work and God has a much bigger idea. So that's really what I just wanted to talk about uh, today, this little sidebar. Can we also talk about how that fly, the, that parable flies directly in the face of capitalism? Sure. Yeah, because um, as you were reading it, because it's been a minute since I heard that one. I'm familiar with it, but I just hadn't heard it, you know, sure. read directly from the, the scripture in a minute. And, you know, while you were reading it, I was like, that's communism. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's yeah. talk about that. Well, oh, let's go to Acts 2. Let's, um, I'm just going to jump to, uh, actually, no, that's, let's go to a little further. <clears throat> well, while you're doing that, you know, I'll just say that, um, you know, that's something that um, I continue to, to love to this very day, even the things that I've let go of, the things that I've kind of left behind from Christian Christianity that weren't serving me, or at least evangelical Christianity. Um, but I've always loved that, and especially, you know, in more recent years, as I'm growing and changing, I'm even more um, appreciative and passionate about just how much of a rebel Jesus was and just how much of, like, how ev- so many things that what he taught about... Mm. Are would seem directly in rebellion and in in contradiction to so many of the um, values of the conservative Christian, you know, population. Yeah. That that seem that you know call themselves the Jesus freaks and and would you know like to think that they are upholding you know Jesus's values, but um, you know I think this is a great example of how so many conservative Christians are super super capitalist, and as conservatives. And as many, like, right-wings, they're, they're very much about protecting that capitalism and protecting, like, you know, their idea of what um, economy should be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have lots and lots of thoughts and opinions about the economy and about free market and, and uh, capitalism and things like that. Um, and we can go into all that at another time because, yeah. again, I don't have any answers. I don't have any solution or, or anything like that. Um, I just, I really like uh, kind of exploring how... This parable, you know, and maybe it, you know, it, it was meant to be always a parable and not to be taken as a literal example of how econo- econo- economics, economy should yeah. work. But, um, but yeah, if you look at it as an economic example, it's purely kind of communist. Yeah. Well, and, and I'll just jump over. We've got Acts 2. This is after the, um, the Pentecost and Peter has this big speech mm-hmm. um, and we go to verse 42 And they devoted themselves, the apostles, to teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done throughout the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those mm. who were being saved. So that's describing... The word of the Lord. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks and be. so... <laughs> Bless be. Yes. And so that's kind of describing what sounds like a very sort of a commune. Yes. Type of, yeah. <laughs> And, um, and yeah, the idea of personal property, you know, they completely relinquished that and they were like, Hey, we are, we are going to live as a collective and we are going to say it is our responsibility to care for one another and to provide for our needs as a, as a group and as a collective. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they, that's very interesting. And, you know, um, who knows if that's a model that that you know real life economics could actually function on in 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 a, well, in the type of scales that they would you know like it, it big has big been populations attempted. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously there's examples of in history mm-hmm. where that has been attempted um, and modern examples um, as well. Plymouth Rock isn't there a place in um, New Mexico? I think there's a place in New Mexico right now where there's like a like a commune and you can go live there. I mean, there's communes all over the place. Yeah. Anyway. But I wanted to bring up the example of, Plym- I believe Plymouth Rock, when the p- pilgrims, you know, arrived, there was this idea, okay, mm-hmm. of this sort of commune living and everybody would kind of um, give a certain amount or um, split the possessions and eventually that was reformed a little bit. So, obviously... There, you know, and there are so many examples, and I hope if this is something that interests you to go out and find out more interesting, more information on um, uh, Christians who do live together in community houses. Um, there's a, in Chicago, I know of the Japuza community, Jesus People USA is one. Um, but there are, but I would also be careful because that's where you, 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 you know, start looking for commune and yeah, be careful Google, it's a Google. commune and not a cult. Not a cult. Be like... Could be a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope. You know, just one of those things to, have, you know, maintain some discernment on. Yeah. Um, but, you know, obviously there are examples of that um, all over the place. So, as far as an example for economics, I don't know. It it's has been tried. interesting to think about. But, um, I would say classically this particular scripture in acts 2 has more so been used as a model for mm-hmm. what a church community mm-hmm. should look like and act like um and has often been held up as a measure mm-hmm. at least i remember even that having this discussion looking at the scripture uh in, you know during youth group and like uh megan asking us well do you think our church looks like this and we were going like, oh, I don't know, golly. You know, just like, yeah. what? I never thought about this. You know, it's like, we just want cool stuff. <laughs> um, so it, that's really classically how it, how this has been kind of thought of and used. Is like, our, do we, if we were to list, if we were to look at our church and our communities, would they fit this description? But... I also think, yeah, opening that up to a wider question of mm-hmm. does, what does that just look like for, at a personal level and how we kind of function mm-hmm. in our society. Yeah, good things to be thinking of. Good things to be thinking about, yeah. definitely. And this, uh, these readings can, you know, 
make you kind of reflect about like, you know, where do you feel like something is scarce Mm -hmm. in your life? Where do you, do you operate from scarcity, from a place of scarcity or a rule of scarcity when it comes to your love, your affection, mm-hmm. um, your power? Maybe um, your time. I was about to say, I mean, certainly time, certainly time is scarce. I think that there is like, just because we know that human lifetimes are finite. Yeah. So I feel like time, that is something that probably does operate by, or maybe not the rule of scarcity, but um, it's definitely finite. Whereas our love and our power can, can't be, you know. Yeah, in our ability to empathize and show yeah. compassion. Yeah, there's um, no but limit we, to that. Uh, but, but time is just something that we so often treat with scarcity. Absolutely. Um, and we're both, like, super introverted. <laughs> so with us, it's just like if you get personal time mm-hmm. it's like we must really like you Ooh, that reminds me we should do we should talk about the love languages at some we point as totally well we talk about the love languages mm-hmm. at some point but yeah um thank you so much for sharing that with us naomi and we okay. hope that this will um we invite you to you know if you have thoughts questions comments about you know what naomi was talking about and what we discussed a little bit afterwards please share but yeah we i guess we kind of hope that this will make you think a bit about you know in what areas are you in your i can speak in what areas of your life might you be operating from a rule of scarcity rather than a rule of generosity or abundance yeah all right well thanks for tuning in um and we'll catch you next time you can reach out to us on instagram at WTOF podcast. You can reach us on Twitter at We Turned Out Fine. You can go to our website, WeTurnedOutFine.com, or email us at WeTurnedOutFine at gmail.com. And in the end, we turned out just, just fine. fine. <laughs> so thank you. Okay, bye. Bye.